Thanks so much for joining us today. The Bible reading for this message is taken from Ruth chapter 1. It would be great if you could push pause on this video now. Go and read through Ruth chapter 1 and then come back. Also, you, if you're a regular to this channel, it would be really helpful if you could like this video and subscribe to the channel and don't forget to turn on notifications. So it's Ruth chapter 1 and we'll see you back here in just a second. The book of Ruth is a story about transition, a story about going away and coming back. It's a story that teaches us some of the most wonderful truths about God. And the amazing thing is that in this story, these truths are played out not on a grand scale in powerful palaces or universal landscapes. The great truths of God are played out in the lives of one family in a small village. Now we're living in a time of transition. We're living in a time of going away and coming back. It's a story that is so relevant for the time that we're entering into uh, as a world, uh, as a country, but also as a church. For we too have experienced a going away and we're getting ready to experience a coming back. We too are entering into a time of transition. And the story, it highlights that God cares for individuals. Perhaps there are some among us who really need to hear that reminder today that God cares for you. That God's truths are also playing out in your life. Uh, that your personal sufferings, that your personal disasters, the things that you are going through now are somehow serving the Church of Jesus Christ and are service, serving God's plans going forward in this world. Uh, but Ruth is a book about transitions because it takes place in a very transitional time for God's people. Uh, the book of Ruth begins in the days of the judges. And we did a series in Judges about 12 months ago. You can go and check out some of those sermons online. They're still there. Uh, but that's where it begins. It begins in the days of the judges. The book of Judges uh, ends with these words that Israel had no king and every uh, person did what they saw fit in their own eyes. It's also interesting that the, the last little story arc in the book of Judges starts in Judges 19, and it starts in Bethlehem. This story is in Bethlehem. So it starts in the days of the Judges, but it ends, the last word of the book of Ruth is David. Yes, that David. That's where Ruth is going. And so Ruth sort of fits as this bridge, this transition, uh, to the time when Israel had no king, but it looks forward to a time when Israel would have a king a king who would unite his people, a king who would defeat Israel's enemies, a king who would lead that nation uh, in peace and in prosperity under the promises and the blessings of God. So it's a book about transitions. Uh, it's also a book about going away and coming back, especially chapter one. Our first exposure to the story is one of gloom and sadness. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Here's the going away. Famine hits the land. Uh, Bethlehem, which seems largely unscathed by what happens during the time of the judges, is not immune to famine. And so this famine breaks out, and this family has to go away. Well, it doesn't have to go away. It chooses to go away. It's a nameless man from Bethlehem and a nameless family, just his wife and his two sons. And it seems that the decision is made mainly for pragmatic reasons. There's a famine here. There's not a famine there. I don't know. What, what, what would you do? 
So he takes his family. We discover that the man's name was Elimelech, and he takes his family and he moves them to Moab, his wife and his two sons. Incidentally, his sons, Malon and Kilion, mean sick and annihilation. It's kind of like naming your kids COVID and Corona. And so you've got a pretty good idea of where this was going. They head out to Moab, another country completely independent with its own leadership, its own laws, but most importantly, with its own religion and its own set of religious practices and customs and God. Once there, Elimelech and his family will be foreigners, uh, away from God's people, away from God's land, away from God's promises, and away from God himself, looking for a better life. Looking for a better life, though, away from God's provision. Looking for a better life on pragmatic reasons. Now, given the pace that the story is told, it's hard to judge the passing of time. But the impression that we're left with in verses 3 and 4 is that whatever benefit the family got from going away very quickly disappears. First, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her two sons then married Moabite women, which seems, again, pragmatic. They need wives. They need to carry on the family line. But they married Moabite women. And one of the things that God had said to his people was that they were not to marry women from the foreign nations. They weren't to intermarry with other nations, but that's what these boys do, again, for pragmatic reasons. And after they'd lived for about 10 years, uh, they died. They didn't have any children with their wives, and they died. And so we discover, and it's interesting, verse 5 says Naomi was left, but in the Hebrew it actually just says, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And given the realities of life in a patriarchal society, to be left without men, to be left without heirs, Naomi is uh, utterly destitute. She basically becomes the woman at the end of this chapter. It's as though she's lost not just her family, but her name as well. That is the symbolic end of the descent into emptiness of this woman. And the focus at the end of the story very quickly narrows down to this one question that's hanging in the air. What future does Naomi have? Can she ever recover from this? Can her emptiness be filled? Now famines, like droughts, can be long and terrible, but they're normally cyclical and they don't last forever. And so it was in Bethlehem. After a period of time, the bad time ended, and it gave way to good times, and Naomi heard about it. She heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. Now, such news can always, you know, just breathe positivity uh, back into a person. But it also can intensify feelings of loss and of guilt. God had visited his people. Isn't she one of God's people? God had visited his people over there, but she's over here. She feels uh, the loss again in a completely different way because now this is happening at a far off distance and she isn't there to be part of it. She isn't there and unable to enjoy it. Uh, has her going away perhaps been a terrible mistake? It's not just Bethlehem she's gone away from. It dawns on her now that she's actually gone away from God and from his people. And so that sense of alienation is now compounded. 
Naomi at this point is like the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, sitting hungry in a far-off country and remembering the abundance of his father's house. And like that son, she too concludes that there's only one realistic thing for her to do. She arose with her daughters, in verse 6, daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab. And so now we begin to follow Naomi as she goes back uh, to Bethlehem. We need to note two things. First, she doesn't go alone. She takes with her her two daughters-in-law, who actually want to go with her. What we can glean from that, excuse the pun, from later on, you'll have to stay around, that there must have been something in Naomi that these daughter-in-laws loved, that they wanted to emulate, that they wanted to be loyal to. You know, it's the dream relationship between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law that these daughter-in-laws wanted to travel with their mothers-in-law and, and their husbands were dead. You know, so this is extremely special. There's something about Naomi. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew Bible, Ruth actually comes after the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs ends with Proverbs 31, which is all about uh, the wise woman. And, and so you kind of get a picture that, that Naomi must have been something like that. And the woman that Ruth becomes must have been in some form emulating the type of woman that Naomi was before she experienced all this loss and all this emptiness and all this bitterness. The second thing that we need to note about Naomi is that she goes back with incredibly low expectations. And this comes out particularly in her words to the girls. It's her low expectations that drive her uh, to send the girls back. Uh, she um, cannot replace the husbands that the girls have lost. She's too old to bear any more children. Even if she became pregnant that night, it would take too long for the children to grow up to be a marriageable age. Uh, the girls would be better off staying in Moab, going back to their mother's houses, looking for husbands in that place. Uh, and on one level, there is a generosity in her concern for the girls' future, rather than in her own needs. The girls would have had to look after her in her old age. And she's saying, just leave me, just let me be, you go back, sort yourselves out. But there's also evidence of her state of mind that's driven by guilt that led to these low expectations. That, that leads to her low expectations of God. She expects very little from God herself, and even less for her daughters-in-law, should they accompany her home. Uh, look at what she says to Ruth in verse 15. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. In her present state of mind, Naomi thinks Ruth can expect more from the gods of Moab than from the God of Israel. But Ruth is having none of it. Look at her response to Naomi in verses 16 and 17. She replies, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back away from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. In the original Hebrew, that your God, my God, that's the crescendo, the center point of everything that Ruth says. Ruth uh, speaks more as a child of God then Naomi does at this point, your God will be my God. And the irony is that although Naomi is returning to Israel, Ruth the Moabitess has more faith in the God of Israel than Naomi herself does. She is willing to commit herself to him unreservedly. 
and be accountable to him for her loyalty to Naomi. Uh, the language is the language of commitment, of taking an oath before God. It's almost put on the same level as marriage vows. She is vowing to Naomi that she will go with her. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Uh, Naomi's own faith hangs by a thread at this point. She's more inclined to turn those she loves away from God than bring them near to God. That is how low her expectations are on every level of the Lord. And so, Naomi, realizing that Ruth was determined to go with her, even though Orpah has now gone back, stopped urging her. And so, they go back. And Naomi's arrival in Bethlehem uh, causes uh, quite a ruckus gets uh, people talking. You know, anytime somebody comes back from New Zealand or Australia or somewhere else, we all talk, oh, I wonder why they didn't make it. I wonder why it didn't work out. I wonder what happened there. They didn't have Facebook, so they couldn't probably work out that Elimelech and COVID and Corona had died. Uh, although I'm sure Ruth walking back in with a strange Moabite woman uh, would have given them a pretty good idea of what had taken place. And now the things that we had suspected about Naomi become really clear. She does believe that she did wrong to go away and has been punished. Is she right? I'm not sure. Is it just a further manifestation of a depressed state of mind? Possibly. I don't think that the passage itself gives us uh, any absolute clarity on rightness or wrongness. After all, the famine was real. She was a mother with a family to feed. They were making pragmatic decisions that may have looked wise. Uh, and yet at the same time, we know that there was what God had said about trusting him, about staying in the land, about not marrying foreign women. There's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of gray uh, as we're going through this. And so we need to tread very, very carefully. I mean, even Naomi's to decision to leave is questionable because she would have had to have followed her husband, right? So, verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She says, I went away. That, as it were, is her confession. I left, but the Lord has brought me back. So bad does Naomi feel at this particular moment, though. So ashamed that she doesn't even want to be called Naomi, which incidentally we haven't touched on. Naomi means pleasant. Now she wants to be called Mara, which means bitter, because that is who she is, and that is what she has become. She's doubly bitter. Back in verse uh, 13, she said, It is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. When she talks about bitter in verse 13, she's referring to um, how she felt about what happened. But in verse 20, when she talks about bitter, it has more to do with the severity of the events themselves, especially the loss of her husband and her two sons. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She comes home full of bitter memories. And of course, that's very understandable, isn't it? But what's less understandable and, and certainly less justifiable is the word empty that she uses in verse 21, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. We can understand her bitterness, but what is this about the emptiness that she talks about? She comes back 
with two significant assets. Okay, one we know about because of the whole story. We discover in chapter four, she actually has a piece of land. So she's not completely empty, although she has lost her family. But she also comes back with Ruth. You know, even the best mother-in-laws mess up from time to time. Imagine Ruth standing there, hearing Naomi uh, drop these words from her lip, I have come back empty. And Ruth's going, but what about me? You know, you know, Ruth is just completely undervalued at that point in time. Naomi's perception of God has become twisted by the events that have taken place in her life so that she can see him only as her judge, so that even bringing her back is a further humiliation that he is inflicting on her. She arrives in Bethlehem, a bitter woman, empty, but worst of all, with a very poor view of God, and very low expectations of him. But she's in for a surprise. Ruth and Naomi's arrival is actually one that is full of hope because when they get there at the end of the journey, we leave chapter one discovering that they arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Remember, it was the Lord who had visited his people. It was a message, it was a gospel message, a good news message, a momentous message that she had heard that brought her back in the first place. The barley harvest is beginning. That means they came to Bethlehem and the famine was over and Ruth and Naomi were arriving at the time of reaping. The rest of the book will be about Naomi discovering and rediscovering God as her redeemer and being overwhelmed by his rich generosity to her. And in the process, Ruth will be rescued, and we will discover that she is not emptiness. She is not of no value. She is of immense value. And if we carry on reading the whole story of the Bible, we'll discover that God even used her in sending his son, Jesus Christ. So, where do we leave chapter 1? Well, I think that in spite of a warped perspective and a downcast frame of mind, there are some good things that we can note about Naomi. As we picked up earlier, she must have been a woman of character to have influenced her daughters-in-law in such a profound way. Sometimes people of great character uh, can uh, become depressed, can become spiritually depressed. Uh, can uh, fall into difficult places. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps you have walked with the Lord for a number of years and things have gone well and now things have turned. Maybe it hasn't been very long you've walked for the Lord and things have become incredibly difficult and you've become downcast. Sometimes that's part of the journey. God is still working in Naomi's life, even though as far as Naomi's concerned, she is empty and she is bitter. God's hand is against her. Sometimes God's hand does turn against us, but it's because he's disciplining us, because he disciplines those that he loves. The second thing that we need to give Naomi credit for and that we need to learn from is this. She came back. She came back bitter. She came back empty. But she came back. And that's good news. Whether she was right or wrong to think that she had done wrong by going away, there's simply deep, something deeply impressive about the fact that she takes full responsibility for it. I went away. She doesn't blame Elimelech or make excuses. She doesn't blame God. I went away, verse 21. That's all. 
and this willingness to come home without casting blame, without being the victim, without making excuses, shows us a side of Naomi that is reassuring. It shows us uh, a side to ourselves, you know, having a willingness to come back. That tells us, hey, God is not done with us yet. Furthermore, even Naomi's bitter talk about God punishing her, there is an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. Uh, she doesn't attribute her coming back to herself. She attributes it to God. Okay, The famine ended because God made it end. That's a good understanding of God's sovereignty. And I went away, but it was the Lord who brought me back. And she's absolutely right. It wasn't the destitution that brought her back. It was the good news about something that God had done that brought her back. The Lord had visited his people and given them food. It was this good news, this gospel, that had called her home. And those who respond to such good news are not just coming home to Bethlehem or elsewhere. They are coming home to God. And Naomi is about to discover those who come to God will never be rejected by him. The story of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible, is really a going away and a coming home story. It's about the entire human race going away from God and His great plan of salvation that calls us back. It's about something else that God has done in Bethlehem. At the center of that plan is our Lord Jesus Christ and the good news, not that He has visited Israel and ended the famine, but that He has visited this world, that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us that he has come into this world to rescue this world and to call it home. And so can I say to you this morning, in this time of transition, in this time that you find yourself in, in your life, come home to God who made you and who loves you and who is the only one who can fill your emptiness and meet your deepest need, the only one who can uh, remove your bitterness and replace it with joy. Come back empty, but come back. Come back with small expectations. Come back bitter if you must, but come back. You may have been away six months, 10 months, 10 years, but however long it's been, can I say to you it's been too long? Come back. So wherever you might find yourself in drifting, one day, one month, one year, know this. We were made for God and our true home, our only real place of wholeness and fulfillment is with him. Ruth chapter 1 is a story about one person who went away but came home. And it is an invitation to you, one person, to do the same. God cares deeply about individuals, and he cares deeply about you. And so let me ask you, will you come home? Will you come home to God? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25 says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseers of your soul. Will you return to God, and will you do it today? Would you bow with me and let's pray. 
Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are like the Father who, when he sees his lost son returning, runs to meet him and throws his cloak around him and welcomes him in. And so, Father, for any of us who are struggling, feeling that we have gone away and don't know whether or not we can come home, when we hear this invitation from you this morning to come home and to know that you will welcome us, that you have redeemed us, that you value us immensely, and that you care for each and every individual. Help us to come home, and we pray this in Jesus' name.